You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Today's wake-up call is on suffering. You may have already picked up on that. You may have already, uh, uh, through the message, through the testimony, through the music, picked up on the word suffering just a little bit. Christ sufferings. Even in some of the worship music we sang this morning, uh, we were able to sense that there was a theme that was passing through the different songs and the scriptures and the testimony uh, from our worship team on suffering. But the fact of the matter is, is the entire book of First Peter is really about suffering. I know that we're going to take this Sunday and this chapter and accentuate it, but the the truth is the entire book of 1 Peter has this subject of suffering that goes through each individual chapter over and over again. I'd like to illustrate that to make my point. First of all, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, to those who are elect exiles, speaking of those who had left Jerusalem because they were persecuted for their faith. And they were no longer able to stay in their homes because of this persecution. So they they spread out all over the region because of that persecution. Suffering had come and was addressed. Peter addressed this in the very first verse of the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. And then chapter 1, verse 6 says, You have been grieved by various trials. Chapter 1 and verse 11, the sufferings of Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 11, beloved, I urge you, again, sojourners, exiles, those who have been persecuted. Chapter 2, verse 19, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, and suffer for it. Verse 21, Christ also suffered for you. Verse 23, when he suffered. Chapter 3, verse 13, now who is there to harm you? Verse 14, but even if you should suffer. Verse 16, when you are slandered. Verse 17, better to suffer. Verse 18, Christ also suffered. Chapter 4, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Verse 13, share Christ's sufferings. Verse 14, if you are insulted. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian. 19, those who suffer according to God's will. Do you get the picture? Is it pretty evident? Verse Chapter 5, verse 1, the sufferings of Christ. Verse 8, seeking someone to devour. Verse 10, after you have suffered. Each individual chapter, numerous verses, where Peter is addressing this subject of suffering and trials and hardships and difficulties. No doubt. The theme of the book of 1 Peter is suffering. And yet, we're faced with this introductory thought. Suffering will come. It will come. It's not a matter of if. It's when. It will come. And yet, it's it's astonishing that there is still a problem amongst Christians. And it is this. That after all of this, We're still surprised when it comes. We're somewhat shocked. We can't believe it. Why would this happen? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I go to church. Even though God has given us all of this insight, all of these teachings, suffering will come. Paul said in Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 12 of 2 Timothy, he said, all who desire to live godly, 
will suffer persecution, will be persecuted. Not some, not a few, not just a select number, but everyone. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let it not be a shock to you today. May it be announced from this platform this morning through the Holy Spirit and, and through God's word, all of you who desire to live godly will be persecuted. You will suffer. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, we're reminded not to be surprised at the fiery trial. It'll come to test us. Don't think something strange has happened to you. Wow, I, I, I just, this is so weird. This is so odd. I'm a Christian and I'm suffering. No, no, it's not if, it's when, it's how often. It's how many times, it's how many more times. Suffering will come. Hardship is coming into every person's life. The question might really be, how do we handle this suffering? How do you and I handle it? Is there something in chapter 4 of 1 Peter that would allow you and I to understand the purpose of suffering? The reason for it. Why we should gladly grow to the place where we can receive it and expect it and think it not strange and welcome it and actually rejoice in it. Is it even possible? So how do we handle suffering? Well, it's interesting because... Chapter 4 is kind of divided, at least in my Bible, it was uh, very distinctly divided into three sections. And those three different paragraphs, if you will, those three different sections of 1 Peter chapter 4, allow us to learn something from each one of those paragraphs about suffering. It teaches us something on how we can allow suffering in our lives to become of benefit to us. It gives us some lessons, some things we can learn about suffering. So let's start with number one, shall we, of these three biblical ways to handle suffering. First of all, number one, suffering will come, so guard, guard your behavior. Now, wait a minute, think with me for a moment before we actually read verse one. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes suffering affects our behavior? I mean, we actually, if we don't expect it, if we act like we're surprised that it came... I have found many people that I've visited and witnessed to and talked to about the Lord who have said, yeah, you know, I became a Christian and then things got tough and I just thought, you know what, what's the use? And so they walked away from church and they stopped going to church and they stopped, they, they, they distanced themselves from God because of hardship. And yet the scripture here, here says in verse number one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, since Christ did, Here's what Peter says I want you to do. First of all, I want you to arm yourself. That's a military term. Arm yourself. It's the idea of going to battle. Go to battle with this thing. It's going to require you. This chapter 4, before I get into it, it's almost as if Peter says, brace yourself, arm yourself, get ready. I'll put it to you like this. I like to say this. Get your game face on. Arm yourself. Prepare yourself. Because Christ suffered the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Let this mind be in you, Philippians says, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like Christ thought. He was not shocked at the cross. Jesus didn't come into the world just to hang out. He didn't come in the world. He's like, yeah, this was great. I was just kind of, you know, having a lot of fun. And I got to meet some different people and hang out with some of these dudes. It was really great. The cross, are you, I got to die? This is crazy. 
I thought I was just coming here to eat, drink, and be merry. He wasn't shocked at the cross. He was born to die. And so arm yourself with that frame of mind. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And then he begins to teach us some things about the way we should think. How should we handle suffering? What are some results of suffering? How, how can we benefit from suffering? Well, let's look at those things, shall we? Number one, I want you to see this, that suffering limits sin. Listen to this statement. For whoever, verse one, has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Obviously, we know that and there's, there could possibly be some false teaching here. Obviously, I've even heard some that have said, you know, well, Christ actually sinned himself until he suffered and then he became sinless after he suffered. False. Can't read the Bible and believe that. Others have said, well, you know, that's the kind of way it is for Christians. We sin up until we really go through some big time hardship and then we're perfected. We're, we're made pure. We're made clean. We are perfect from that moment on. And that's not true. We know that we don't become exactly like Christ until we get to heaven and stand before him and become just like he is. But I believe the Bible is teaching us something here about suffering and that God uses it to limit sin. God's desire is to use suffering in our lives that it might draw us closer to him, that it would limit sin. Suffering leaves you a choice and that choice is to get better or to get bitter. What are you going to do with it? It's a great opportunity. God puts it in your life for a purpose. Oftentimes, I, I'm amazed as I look through the news for the day, and, and I try to do this every day, a couple of times a day, to keep up with some of the tragedy around the world. That's about how you've got to say it these days, right? The tragedy around the world. I mean, yesterday, a policeman was, was killed by a man, and you know, the day before, the Saudi terrorists killed one of the men on that uh, base. And I mean, on and on the tragedies go. And then we had just a few weeks ago, the Mexican cartel killing nine innocent people. Remember that story, the babies and the children that were killed in, in that accident. It was just horrifying. And they interviewed a man by the name of Lane Langford on Fox and Friends. And I was amazed at how just hours after that horrific news that he received that nine of his family members were killed by the Mexican cartel, he began to just share that it was already causing their family to get closer and draw closer together and put things into perspective. And, and they were, it was already being used. And I was like, this has got to have an effect on all that are listening to this. So many that would say, how could he have that philosophy? How could he even think that way? Look at what just happened to him. You can get bitter or you can get better. Suffering will. Suffering should. Suffering must make me a better man. It's the purpose of it. So God's put one of the reasons why God's placed it in my life. And so as you and I anticipate prayerfully now that we've been here this morning and we've been introduced to this wake-up call, as you and I anticipate going through a difficult season in our life, let's determine to be more of what God wants us to be because of it. Suffering will limit sin. There's a way that suffering purifies you and gets the right priorities back on top. How often have I talked to people who have said, you know, yeah, I was really, I was really just had a lot of things out of order. And man, I, 
I'd, I'd, I'd been ignoring my family and man, I, my perspective on with my wife and kids and finances and money. I just was all out of whack and so many things in my life were before what was most important. But you know, I went through this really hard time, cancer or uh, the economy or I lost my job or a, or a, a you know, miscarriage or the loss of a child. I mean, these things that happen and now God has brought me back to a place where what matters most is what means most to me. What did that? Suffering. Suffering did that. Suffering accomplished that. Suffering limits sin. Secondly, eternity limits sin. Read verse number two, as you, if you would. And I don't put all the verses on the screen for the purpose of us having some loyalty to, to the actual word every Sunday in church. So pay attention to, on your phones, iPads, or, or your actual, the written word. Verse two, so as to live for the rest of time. Again, here we are talking about time. So let's, let's put things in perspective, church, church together, shall we? Uh, how many of you would agree that time is short? Amen? Everybody good with that? Life here is not very long. Uh, one of the ladies at our retirement center passed away yesterday at age 90. And she was in perfect health last week. I mean, she was as healthy as a 90-year-old could be. But she took a fall and broke her leg and had surgery. And yesterday she <clears throat> went to be with Jesus. 90 years seems like a long time. But honestly, it's not really all that long compared to eternity. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For just a moment, let me present this to you. Eternity limits sin because when you're going through suffering, all of a sudden, the things that, that, that seem the biggest don't seem that big anymore. In light of eternity, some of the things that we make a big deal out of really don't seem that big anymore. The things that really matter start coming to the surface because we, surface because we start thinking like this. How many days do I have left? How many of you have found out like me that our kids grow up fast? And they're out of the home. They're gone. They're 18, 19, 20. And that was quick. I just lost track of time. I was working so hard and I just missed so much time with my kids because of this or that. How many have come to a place maybe in your life where you lost a loved one and you're like, how, where did all the time go? I miss him so much. I wish I would have done more. And so we come to the place where we ask ourselves this question, how many days do we have left? And when we consider that, we understand more why he said, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. With what days I have left, I don't want to live them for my passions, for my flesh, for the things that maybe I used to live for. What are human passions? Well, oddly enough, Peter actually mentions several. He says in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, like living in sensuality. Do we ever live in a world of sensuality? There's no shame anymore. There's no boundaries. We're not shocked anymore by anything we hear about the sensuality of this world. Passions, drunkenness, the word says. Orgies, unrestrained debauchery, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. 
The Word gives us a list of a few things that have to do with human passions. And and basically what the Scripture is saying here, church, please listen, is this. Haven't we spent enough time doing that? I mean, how much more time do you want to waste on that stuff? It gets you nowhere. It takes years off your life. It ends up in drunken rage and domestic violence and car accidents and all these different things that take away from life, destroy families. He says, haven't we spent enough time doing those things? And then notice in verse 4, he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. So here is someone who kind of walks away from those things or someone like me who I never got saved at age 13, praise God. And because of that, uh, I, 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 I never, well, I could have. I could have gotten it. I mean, I had opportunity. And if I could use myself as an illustration for young people, I remember growing up at age 13. And I remember the day I called my mother from in front of Grand Avenue Baptist Church. There was a, I don't know how many, how long you guys have lived in Hot Springs, but there used to be a, a payphone at the bus stop in front of Grand Avenue. Remember this, Wes? You go down Grand Avenue. I think you used to go to Grand Avenue, actually. And there was a, there was a bus stop there and there was a payphone. So I'm going down Grand Avenue from where the church was. We used to go to church. When I got saved, our church actually was at where River of Life is now. So I'd left school with a friend who wanted to take me to a party and, and it was inviting me to do some really you know, stuff that night, day that was not going to be something that would please God. And so I told him, I, I really feel good about it. So he pulls his car violently over and says, well, then get out of the car and walk home. And I remember thinking, Wow, that's kind of extreme. I just, just don't want to do the stuff that you're asking me to do. And, and, and so I've experienced a few moments like that in my life where, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't. Are you crazy? You mean you don't want to go to the party and get drunk? You mean you don't want to have sex with a pretty girl at the party? You, you mean you're not interested in going to the strip bar? Uh not, not interested. I, I'd really rather not. Ah, come on. You're crazy, man. This is 2019. What are you thinking? Everybody does it. Not everybody. Not me. Reebok says life is short. Play hard. But the Bible says life is short. Stop playing. Get serious about some things. And they say, you think you're better than me, don't you? You just think you're just a goody twos little Christian. You think you're better than everybody. Actually, I don't think I'm better than everybody else. I really don't. I promise. I, I just, I don't feel like this is what God would have me. Then get out of the car. This is what will happen. Sure. We get, I get it. I mean, it's part of, the Bible actually says it. It's understandable. I'm not surprised by it. I'm not like, oh, I can't believe I got kicked out of the car. It was so horrible. No, I had to call my mom. She picked me up. I didn't have a driver's license. She drove me home. I told her what happened. She said, I'm proud of you, son. God will bless you for that. It's like par for the course. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they'll actually malign you. They'll make fun of you. They'll laugh at you. But notice, suffering limits sin. Eternity limits sin. Experience limits sin. 
So your life's experiences, whether you were involved in things and now you've just walked away and you're actually teaching now your children and your grandchildren one or the other. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you, it was hard and and I got kicked out of a car. I've told my kids that story a million times. It's worth it to do what's right. Or you could say, you know what? I made some mistakes. I experienced some of those things. And I can tell you it's not experience will help you to limit sin in your life and in others that you're raising and teaching. Let me add this to it. Lastly, judgment limits sin. Because when you realize that you're going to give an account, verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The judgment of Almighty God should help guard our behavior. It is something that's very inspiring and motivating. I've said for years, there's three things that motivate me. I've said this for years. I mean, this is like repeat mode big time. In 27 years of pastoring, if you've gone to this church for five or 10 or 15 or all 27, you've heard this multiple times. There's three things that motivate me. Number one, my, my, my salvation motivates me. I mean, it really does. I mean, the fact that I'm born again, that I'm saved, that I'm not going to hell, that Christ loved me enough to save me, that his grace was extended to me. I can't get over that. I'm just blown away by that. And I'm still excited about being saved. And it's not like this little birthday that happens once a year, September the 1st, 1978, I was saved. No, it's every day of my life I wake up in, a, in an attitude of gratitude that I'm not going to burn in hell forever because of a wonderful, loving Savior that saved. It's just amazing. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me. I can't get over it. Number two, my family motivates me. I'm motivated by my wife and kids and my grandkids now. It's crazy. I mean, I can look at that group that is getting larger and larger and larger as the years go. I can look at their picture. I can look at my beautiful little wife and my five little kids and my five little grandkids and think, good night, I want to live for God for them. I don't want to throw a godly heritage away for debauchery, for sex and drunken parties and orgies. Why would I do that? I mean, God's given me this gift of a family. I want to, I want to be a good steward of that gift. But here's the illustration this morning. The illustration is the judgment seat of Christ motivates me. The fact that I'm going to have to stand before God and actually give an account for today, for tomorrow, for the next day. For the things that I've done in my body, the deeds that I've done, the actions that I've taken as a servant and follower of Jesus Christ. It's exciting to me. That's not like scary. It's motivating. And so I encourage you today to understand that we need to guard our behavior because of suffering. Be careful not to get bitter. Be careful not to get angry. Be careful not to become someone who one day, 10 years from now, says, yeah, I used to go to church, but you know what? God didn't answer my prayer. God took my loved one. God, God, God did this and God did that. And all of a sudden, we've allowed the things that God brought to our lives to make us cl- bring us closer to him, to actually distance ourselves from him. Guard your behavior. Number two. The second thing I see in the second paragraph is that suffering will come. So grace your relationships. In a moment, you're going to see the grace of God illuminated in this scripture. Because that is how you and I are here today is the grace of God through tough times. Right? Tough times at work. And by the way, everybody has tough times at work. Pour on the grace. Tough times in your family. Pour on the grace. Tough times at church, pour on the grace. It's amazing how tough times in a family, tough times at work, tough times at church. And guess what so many people do? They just walk away. Walk away from their family, find another church, and get another job. 
Tough times. I'm not going to put up with it. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I mean, I like most of I like, you know, I like 90% of it, but there's 10%. <laughs> I don't like everything about Caroline. Is that okay, honey? And she doesn't like everything about me. In fact, there's a whole lot more she doesn't like about me than I don't like about her. You say, well, tell us some of those things. I can't think of any of them right now. Sorry. None of them are coming to mind. You say, why? She's just awesome. And my attitude towards the things that I would disagree with are not really that big a deal when I think about the grand scheme of how good God's been. God's brought me a wonderful, precious wife. God's given me a great church to serve in. Why would I want to go anywhere else? Yeah, but don't you kind of not like the decorations? I mean, I mean, kind of when you walk into the atrium, doesn't it bother you that there's not carpet anymore? Well, I never really thought about it. It's my church. Why would I care about the carpet? I'm 54 years old. I don't know anything about decorating. I could care less. Don't ask me. I don't know. If, if, I'm not, I don't even have to vote on it. I mean, I'm not going to leave my church over the color of the walls or the musical instruments. I mean, and yet sometimes we can tend to look at what we disagree with so much more than when, what we do love and agree with. Notice what it says in our text. It's amazing. I love this. This is amazing. Above all, I like that, above all. You know why I like that? Because it's amazing how oftentimes in Scripture, God gets our attention in these extreme ways. Like, it, it would just, you know, you, you'd think that he would just maybe just say the thing, say, say what he wants to say. But he says, no, 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 I'm going to say this first. Above all. In other words, this is important. Above everything else, I want you to understand some things. Above all, this is how you are to grace your relationships. So let's break it down into four things. Number one, the scripture does. Let's do it with the scripture. Here it is. Keep loving one another. Number one, never stop for any reason. Never stop for any reason. Keep loving one another. Keep loving your spouse. Never stop for any reason. Yeah, but I don't like that. Never stop for any reason. Keep loving one another. And guess what the next word is? Do you see it in the passage? Earnestly. That word earnestly is the same word that is used when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. That intense prayer, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will, but um, not, not my will, but thine be done. As he sweat drops of blood. That same intensity in prayer is the same intensity you and I are to give to loving one another. That's incredible. That'll get you through a lot of hard times if you love someone as much as Jesus loved us in that garden as he prayed. Love one that never stop for any reason. Number two, he says this, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love overlooks a fault. It's patient. It's kind. It focuses on the good and not the bad. I know there's bad. Going back to my, my marriage, I know there's, there's, there's some things that, 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 that I might want Carolyn to change. There might be some things she might want me to change. And we go to a couple's retreat and we focus on it. We learn, we get better. But at the end of the day, church, I'm not leaving her. I love that woman. Not because she's perfect, but because I can overlook the two or three little old dinky deals that and there's so many wonderful, amazing things. Love overlooks a fault in their children. I mean, sometimes I, 
I think we can be so hard on our kids that we forget that, wait a minute, have we bragged on them lately? Have we talked about the good? Well, yeah, but they're just in those teen years. You know, they're just rebellious. Wait a minute, stop, time out. Have you taken time to notice all the good things they're doing? Sometimes I think we overlook the good because we're looking just at the bad. But love doesn't do that. Love focuses on the good in your children. Love focuses on the good at church. But how often do we get in our cars and say, I wonder who was off on the worship team today. Did you hear that note? Somebody on like the second song, I think it was the third or fourth line, it was just like weird. Really? That's all you heard? Or you get home and how was the sermon? Yeah, you know, pastor, he, 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 he was reading verse 13, but it was really verse 12. Did you see that? <laughs> Can't even read anymore. Dude gets, he's, he's got dementia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. I'm not going to preach every message perfect. I'm going to say words wrong. I'm going to do it. But can we, can you give me a little bit of grace? Can you, can you extend a little grace to me? Can you look at the rest of the sermon? Love focuses on the good at work. Then notice the next thing. Show hospitality to one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. Thirdly, show hospitality. This is the ability to make strangers feel loved. Isn't that great? It's amazing to me, but every year at the Thanksgiving Day feast, we meet a bunch of strangers. People we've never seen before, people we don't know. They come in there off the street every year. Now, this year, we didn't have as many strangers coming off the street because it was raining, the weather was bad, it was cold, it was nasty that morning, right? But we had a few. We had one in particular coming off the street. I think it was Bill was his name. But Bill called me on Wednesday, called the office for Carrie, and he, Carrie gave me the message. And then I called him back and had visited him. And basically, Bill has said this, since I've eaten at the Thanksgiving Day feast, I have come to find out that I have cancer. Went to the doctor a couple days after the feast. I have cancer. I'm going to die. He said, you know, I've never been so loved and accepted as I was that day. I'd like for you to preach my funeral. He said, Pastor, if you would come and visit me, bring a notepad and some, and some paper. And I just want to, I want you to just tell people that I have accepted Christ. And, and, and whoever comes, it might not be anybody come. I'm, I don't have a whole lot. Uh, isn't that beautiful? Somehow, church... Somehow, Troy, that Thanksgiving Day feast brought in a total stranger that felt loved by your hospitality that day. By our willingness to let people come in. Total strangers that we don't know. Hospitality is an amazing gift that God has given all of us to exercise and practice in our lives. I know some of us have the gift, specifically gifts uh, that we've received. But I think the, ho- the gift of hospitality is one that God expects all of us to be involved in. We find in Romans 12, 13, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, 8, Hebrews 13, 2, without even going to the screen, all of these exhort us to be hospitable as Christians. So what does that look like in real time? It might be inviting someone over to your house for dinner. It might be taking someone into your house to live. It might be going out of your way to meet some physical needs. I know we have some people that are gifted at this in our church. I'm thinking about the Chittums who have people over every week and the Harknesses who have teens in their house all the time for activities and the Gullies and the Johnsons who have these large Christmas gatherings in their homes and new member orientation at our house. We welcome, you know, strangers, some we've never met before to, to, to eat. 
And I love it. But you know, every small group leader, every small group leader, thank you for inviting people into your home and showing hospitality because that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we grace our relationships. It's really hard to do that in a large corporate setting, but you can do that in smaller gatherings. And so here's just some things that I've noticed that we can do as we invite people into our homes and into our lives. Number one, let's keep it simple. Let's just keep it modest. Nothing fancy. You know, sometimes I think the reason why we don't invite people over the house is we feel like we have to like roll out the red carpet. I learned a long time ago. You'll never have anybody over the house if you have to do that. Guess what we eat at the new member orientation? Guess what? The same thing every time. Right, honey? I've tried to get her to change. She's like, nope. We're having barbecue beef with cheese and chips. You know, like nachos and sandwiches. Let's keep it simple, sweetheart. We can feed 50 people for 100 bucks. Keep it simple. You don't have to be fancy. Number two, keep it regular. Don't just invite people over once a year. Have on your calendar once every month or every other month. We're going to have some folks from the church over the house. And just love on them and greet them and meet some new people. Number three, keep it flexible. If they cancel, just reschedule. Number four, keep it humble. Don't just invite your friends. Invite others. Invite people you don't know. How cool would it, would it be if you invited someone that you met for the first time at church just over the house to have some fellowship, to get to know you and your family? How, how amazing would that be to show hospitality to a stranger? I know what some of you are thinking. I get it. You're going to get in the car, man, and you're going to look at your wife and say, okay, who do we need to invite over? Pastor wants us to have somebody over the house. Well, look at the next statement in the passage. Show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. Without grumbling. So don't cry over it. Don't yell over it. Don't get angry about it. Let's guard our attitudes when it comes to hospitality. Notice the next statement. As each has received the gift. Some of the spiritual gifts are what? Mercy, prophecy, teaching, encouragement, administration, hospitality. I know each of us are given individual gifts to serve one another. So whatever gift that is, build it up for the body of Christ. Use that gift to build up God's work. And then finally, notice it says, and here's the word grace, as good stewards of God's varied grace. What a gift. It's a gift. God has graced all of us with a gift. And and all of us can, can be hospitable. And all of us can show mercy. Some more than others. Some that's kind of our honey hole. But all of us can be these things at least to a degree, right? And so God challenges us to do, do these things to grace our relationships. Look at verse 11 real quickly before we move on to the final thought. It says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love that. You know what I told our worship team this morning as we met early and prayed before the service? I said, look, guys, we're not, we're not to do this in our own strength. I know you've been gifted with musical ability and talent, and you guys are the best. But guess what? If we get up there today, including myself, if I speak in my own strength, it's not going to be nearly as effective as it would have been had I spoke with the oracles of God had not you served with the strength of God. So do what you do in God's strength and not your own. Amen. It's more effective. And it's, not, it's less tiring. It really is. And so God desires all of us to grace our relationships because suffering is coming and we need each other. 
You say, oh, I'm doing pretty good right now. I actually spent a long time. I can't even remember the last time I went through a hardship. Well, you're going to go through one maybe tomorrow. Maybe in a week or two or a year. So guess what? We'll be here for you. We'll be ready to grace that relationship with hospitality and with whatever you need. And, and, and you the same for me, right? Isn't that what it's all about? That's what we need. And that's what suffering does. Number three, suffering will come. And so we must glorify our God. Now I want you to get this because this is the climax This is the climax of the chapter. This is the climax of the sermon. And really, this is the climax of the series. Because even though we have one sermon left, I think there is nothing that is more important than to give God glory. Amen? Glorify God with whatever it is that you're going through. And so he says here at the end of chapter 11, or rather verse 11 of chapter uh, 4, look at it. In order that in everything God may be glorified, Through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so all of a sudden now we're introduced to this subject of the glory of God. God wants to get glory. What does he want to get glory through? And what does he want to get glory from? Well, look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you what? Share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So wait a minute. I need to rejoice and be glad when God's glory is revealed. Then what is God's glory? Well, let's define God's glory. God's glory is what emanates from God's presence. God's glory is a manifestation of his presence. An illustration would have been this morning's worship service, right? Can I illustrate? Can I illustrate like 25 minutes ago? How's that? Pretty good? God's glory is when we sense a manifestation of his presence in the worship. I mean, when you're singing a song like this, in the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running and there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty. Praise forever to the King of kings. To reveal the kingdom coming, to reconcile the lost, that was me. To redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this, was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Church, is that not something that we can honestly sing and begin to sense and feel those tears, that emotion? That's why we, we sense sometimes a raising of our hands or we share some emotion or some enthusiasm. Why? Because we are experiencing a manifestation of his presence through music. That's glory. That's God's glory. And we pray that every Sunday that we'll, we know he's here, but we want him to show up in a way that we can sense and feel and even taste his goodness. Psalm 19, chapter, one, or ch- chapter 19, verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, some would say that it all came from an explosion. You know, that there was this massive explosion, and that's how you got your eyeball. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't think so. I choose to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. And that creation declares the glory of God. But can I tell you something about the glory of God? The primary trumpet, the primary voice of the glory of God is not his creation. It's human beings who have been redeemed by the grace of God. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeemed. His child and forever I am. Amen. Oh, church, that's why we worship. That's why we're here to proclaim with our voices, with our bodies, the glory of God. We are his instruments. We are broken vessels that God has somehow pieced back together. What a miracle we are here this morning. All to give God glory. The ones who sound the message about the glory of God are his people. I'm going to give you four purposes of the glory of God in closing. Number one, it's the purpose of our salvation. It's the very purpose of why we got saved, to give God glory. I mean, Ephesians 1.12 says it best when it says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might go to heaven, might live forever with Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But really, more importantly, might be to the praise of his glory. That's why you got saved. He said, oh man, I thought I got saved so I could, you know, not feel bad when I go fishing on Sundays or go hunting on Sundays. It's just wonderful. The grace of God. You know, I love it. It is. That's wonderful. God bless you. I'm excited. You're enjoying it. But can I tell you, that's not why you got saved. Most important reason why you got saved is so you can give God glory. Amen. That's it. It's also the purpose of our bodies. The whole purpose of your vessel, your body, your physical body is this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So there's a lot of reasons why I don't participate in certain things that don't bring God glory with my body. I'm, I'm constantly asking myself and my conscience and the spirit within me helps me to walk the path that he would walk if he were here in my shoes. Because I truly pray that you and I will decide this morning that we are going to step one step closer with our bodies to give God glory. Amen. I'm not perfect at it. I'm working at it. I, got a lot, I make mistakes and sometimes I confess, Lord, I didn't use my body properly today for something. But I desire for my body to glorify God. My goal is 24-7. And then it's the purpose of every mundane activity. Everything you do. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So whether therefore you eat or drink, or go to movies, or go golf, or go to Chili's, or hang out in the coffee shop, or, hey, hey, whatever you do, please do it to the glory of God. How awesome is that?
So every little thing we do has something to do with God's glory. Hmm? Every second you live, every moment you live has something to do with bringing God glory. It's convicting, isn't it? But isn't it awesome to be faced with this challenge, this truth, this wonderful word from the word from God's word that we are created for a purpose to give God glory. And then number four, and most importantly, it's the purpose of suffering. First Peter 4, 13, just a reminder, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Why? Why should we rejoice that we are suffering with Christ so that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed? When others see Jesus in you because of the way you suffered and you showed his glory because you went through a difficult time of suffering and you handled it differently. It's amazing to me as I've pastored this church for 27 years, how many times I've watched people suffer through cancer, through losing a loved one, through having a miscarriage, through, through, through suffering through some sort of an illness. How God has used them to bring glory to himself through their suffering. It's an amazing thing. And we shouldn't be shocked when God chooses to do it. I, I can see why, you know, I look at, I honestly look at it this way. One of, the, one of the ways that I accept and absolutely embrace Glorianne is that I know that through her, God is being glorified. Every time we change a dirty diaper at age 13, every time we go through some sort of a crazy, stressful moment where she about drives us to our grave because of her action of just, she can't control. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh man, she's so precious. I get it. Live with her 24-7 and say it then. Walk in my shoes, walk in her shoes. It's, it's tough. But I'll tell you something. It sure has allowed our family to give God a whole lot more glory, to exercise love unconditionally. I get to wash her feet every day, give her a bath every night, get to just love on her and care. For, and, 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 you know, here's the thing. When you look at it that way, it's easier to embrace it. It's like, God, you, this is all good. You've given us glory and you've trusted us with this. This is, this is suffering. This is hard. This is difficult. It's very hard. But God, look what you're doing. Look at all the people she makes happy. Because I know all of you are thinking, man, I love Gloria. She's the best. I can't believe you would even say that. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. God is using her in this church, in your life, in my life, in the peoples that, that she meets in their lives. Amazing. And I use her just as an illustration because she's easy. It's close to home. You've got your illustration. I've watched so many of you go through hardship. I mean, if you only knew the pain that Vince is in right now as he plays that electric guitar, he wouldn't want you to know this. I'm sorry, Vince, for. But I mean, he's in a lot of pain. He's got a big time procedure Tuesday. Pray for him. He go this this man at age, you don't mind me telling your age, do you? 72? 72. He's up here, and we're all like, man, that's amazing. He plays that guitar. Yeah, the pain in his fingers and his legs and his body. I'm just saying it not to lift him up, but aren't 
Can you see how God's getting glory from that? God's using that. Vince, thank you. And I know you won't always be able to do it. And, and there may come a day where you have to say, preacher, I just don't know that my fingers. But Vince, thank you up to this day for literally showing me how you can serve through suffering. So many others in this church that have lost children, that have gone through miscarriages. Women in this church that are sitting here whose husbands have left them. But you're here today. Somehow, some way, you put it all together. And what you don't realize is all of us are looking at you saying, Wow. Wow. It's amazing. I'm so honored to serve with you. I'm so blessed by your testimony. Your sufferings are revealing God's glory. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. Thank you. And so we close today by reading these last few verses. Verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, an evildoer. And just in case you're feeling pretty good about yourself right now, well, I'm not a murderer. And I really, I don't know, evildoer? That might be a little hefty. How about this? Or a meddler. Amen. Amen. I'm like, how in the world did God associate meddling with evildoers and murderers? It's just those of us that we gossip, we criticize, we're negative, we're always in somebody else's business, you know. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For it... It is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. You know when judgment usually begins? We wait till suffering. We wait until the suffering comes. You see, some of you right now, you need to let God change you before the suffering comes. Let God show his glory in your life before the tragedy, before the hardship, before the suffering. Let judgment begin today. Don't, don't say as you leave, preacher, whew, I'm thankful you preached that. I'm going to need it one day. Why not need it now? Why not welcome it into your life now? Well, I'm really not going through anything bad right now. I really feel like it's been smooth sailing for a couple of years. It's coming. Brace yourself. Let judgment begin right now. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who will, do not obey the gospel of God? I can tell you this, not good. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Not anything good. Therefore, finally, in closing, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Amen. So while we are suffering, while we're going through hardship, let's entrust that God is in control he allowed it to happen. Why? To get glory. To make us more like him. It's an amazing thing. I don't know what else God has in store for Caroline and I. I don't know. I don't know what the next phase of challenge and suffering. And I don't know. I don't know how I'll live the rest of my days. I'm counting them though. I, I don't. They're not many. I've already lived 54. <laughs> I'm not sure how many days I have left. 
I have decided this morning I'm not interested in drunken parties and orgies and debauchery. I, I really do want to live the rest of my days for what matters most, specifically these two people on the front row and about another nine or ten in my family. And then from the second row back, I kind of like to live for you guys. Make sure that I'm faithful and that you've got a pastor to depend on and you can count on me to love your kids the best I can. I really want to live the rest of my life best I can to glorify God. So if cancer comes, if dementia comes, if death comes, if suffering comes, if hardship comes, if persecution comes, if it comes, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be surprised. I want to covenant with you today to say, God, whatever you have, as long as I can give you glory, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'll just look at it as if you could trust me with it. Not many days anyway. Whatever I've got left, suffering included, I want to bring you glory. That's what I have for you today. And I pray it'll help all of us. So that when we get that next phone call, hopefully it won't come for a long time. But when it comes, we'll be able to say, okay, God, I know this doesn't surprise you. So I'm ready. Let's do this together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just pray that we would take this truth in chapter 4 as we close this message and have one more sermon two weeks from now. One more, that we would begin now to process these wake-up calls. Begin to ask ourselves, Lord, these convicting questions. How am I living my days? How am I living my life now? What is my attitude about some of the hardships that I'm facing? And maybe there's someone here today that would say, in all honesty, I've, I've never truly taken this step of faith to say yes to Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And today, I, I would like to make that decision, take that step of faith, and I encourage you to do that when we stand. And I'll be up front. Brother Doug will be up front. We'd love to say a word to you and with you and pray with you about that decision. Or after the service is fine as well. Brother Butch is coming. We'll be here if you need someone to pray with you. Father, I love you.